All right, we are back Wednesday, November 8th. College basketball is back. JMU beats Michigan State, a big day for mid-majors. So we have our resident recurring guest, mid-major, chief of staff, Mike Mastriani. Maz, welcome back. And let me be the first to congratulate Illinois State on a 1-0 start to the 2023 campaign. Thank you, Dom, and thank you both for having me on. 1-0, man. A lot better than being 0 and 1. We we knew that feeling last year, and you know, just don't don't take anyone for granted. Now, who do you play? What is it? How do I say this? Lords, the gray, the gray Lords. wolves, the Lords Gray Wolves. Yeah, so they're a school. They're in Toledo, Ohio, um, an NAIA school. Which, you know, I might be a little biased after playing them last night, but expect big things from this team. They they were tough out, man. They have some some high level scores, a preseason All American at the NAIA level, um, and a guy that coming into our game was averaging thirty three points. Jackie Harris, he's a Six five four man, and, and he's got a burner on him. Dude, dude could really shoot it, but our guys, they were locked in on the scout, gave him a tough time, and, uh, yeah, they're, they're a pretty good team. A lot of respect for those guys. The game came about, um, like I said, they're in Toledo, so to Coach Peden's ties to Ohio, their head coach, Dennis Hobson, is the Ohio State all-time leading scorer. So uh, an Ohio guy, he got drafted third overall to the Bulls in, uh, I think, 1987. So just a guy that coach has known for a while um, in his coaching circles and, and a guy that we've we've learned to know, great guy, and that's kind of how this game got scheduled. But, yeah, grateful to be one to know. Uh, so, Maz, real quick yeah, for, for the listeners. Uh, so I know what this means, um, just not what the letters mean. But what do uh, what is an NAI school and how does that compare to Division One, Two, II, or Three um, for the people that don't know? What, what, what do the letters mean? So I don't know what the letters mean. I just know it's like non-academic something because there were some guys I played in high school with that they went NAIA and kind of like a JUCO situation, try and get your grades right so that you could try and like, this was pre-portal, but try and get to a school where you could actually play that you couldn't have coming out of high school. Yeah, that's the route that I think a lot of good players end up, how they end up at those schools. Um, It's really not easy to put it above or below or in between division one, two, and three. Cause there's a lot of guys on these rosters that are from different levels, different levels. Like the two guys I mentioned, they both started their careers on D one rosters. And for whatever reason, whether it was playing time or the situation, they, they just found a place at, at this level where it, it kind of is a mix. You don't really know what you're going to get on an AIA roster. Um, but as far as the level, there's some really good, good teams out there. I think who was it? South Alabama last night lost to NAIA Malone. Um, so th- there's teams out there with some some real deal talent. And like you said, the guys on those rosters have gone there in a number of ways. It might be academic related. I think there's a lot less maybe academic requirements compared to D- Division one, two II, and three schools as far as getting into those those places, um, which might make it you know easier for guys from certain situations to get into. Yeah, gotcha. quick search. Dennis Rodman, Scotty Pippen, both NAIA yep. guys. So I think Sean Kemp, That's too, no- or maybe he was community college. So these are you got some guys that could that can hoop out here. So I was looking at your your roster and a little bit of the box score last night, and I'm sure you said a little bit, Colin, before the portal. Building a mid major roster has to be incredibly difficult in the time of the portal because a good year typically means it's a lot easier to make that jump. And I see you guys have 
um, a lot of guys from other schools, Malachi Poindexter from UVA, mm-hmm. uh, got Luke. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to say his name wrong. Kazuki. Kazuki. Kazuki from, from K state. So can you talk, I'm really interested. How does roster building in the portal look, especially in year one and two with the new coach where you surely have a ton of roster, uh, turnover. Yep. So for us, our, our roster is split, I guess, in a lot of different groups. Um, as far as guys that we've inherited when we got here that are still here, we got Kendall Lewis, who was a transfer himself. He started at, at Appalachian State. Um, we have Ryan Schmidt, Haruna Sissoko, Nick Stottleman. Those were the guys that were here before we were, and they're our type of guys. They, they've stuck around, buying into what we want to do, and um, they're, they're back here. Most of those guys are in their senior year. Um, but then last year, you know, just forming the program, when coach got the job, I mean, he got the job in March, team reports in June. So it's, it's a small window to go and get transfers and and try to convince kids to jump on board to something that is just being born. So uh, Darius Burford, Malachi Poindexter, and Luke Kazupki, who you pointed out, those were guys that were on our team last year. They jumped on board with coach from, from the start of this. And then just this past spring, we've added another round of four transfers in, in Dalton Banks, Brandon Lee, Miles Foster, and uh, Jordan Davis. So kind of different different levels of, of how long we've known e- each of these groups. Um, but I think the guys have done a great job of, of meshing early on here. And since getting here in June, they, they've, they've all kind of kind of formed together pretty well. What's the pitch look like when you get these guys out out to normal? What's the selling point? What are we, what are we talking? The pitch talking is good. Culture? I mean, you know, what we have going here, we're different from a lot of mid-majors and different from a lot of schools in our league is, you know, we can't click through the slideshow and put up a slide that says 2018 NCAA tournament. We don't have that. We're on the flip side of that is we're looking for guys who want to be part of something that hasn't happened year, here in a really, really long time. And that's a challenge. And that's a challenge that drew Coach Pete into the job. That's a challenge that that we all take head on every single day is we want to be the ones that flip that script and and get back to the tournament, which hasn't been done here since 1998. So that's talked about in our recruiting is we don't want guys that shy away from that. We want guys that want to be part of changing the history, not just jumping on board to to a car that's already rolling. You know, we want we want guys that, that want to be there and, and help us build it. Speaking of, speaking on that, yeah. <laughs> um, so obviously you started out in college basketball at Ohio State as a manager, and I mean, tell me if I'm wrong here, but at, at a big time program like that, goal number one, first day of you know June practice in the summer, the the goal has to be national championship, I'd imagine, or at least Final Four. Obviously, you know people always say you want to win the regular season, win the conference tournament, make a Final Four, win a national title. How uh, how different is it expectation setting at a smaller school and making adjustments as you go? I mean, I'm sure that similar starting point where obviously go game by game, you want to win the regular season, you want to win the conference, but what happens when you can see something changing as it goes and how do you realign these guys' expectations to be like, wow, we might have a team that could win a game in the tournament versus, okay, maybe we're just going to be a four seed in the Valley this year, but we're going to build on this. Yeah, you know, you never want to put a ceiling on on what your players think that they can achieve. That's that's the opposite of what of what coaching is, you know, like you you want to build them up and uh you know, you want them to strive for things that p- other people don't think are imaginable. Um 
But for us, you know, there is a reality too of it where like getting the punching our ticket and getting back to March Madness is very realistic. You know, that takes playing four day great, great days of basketball in March. And and if you can do that, it's, you know, it's obviously a lot easier said than done, but that's just the, the steps that get you there. Obviously there's a lot that goes into that, but that's what gets you there. So that is the short term and what we talk about more than anything, but in the long term and the bigger picture, what we talk about as coaches and as a program is, you know, we have everything here. We can win games in the tournament. Like we can make sweet 16s and and, and make runs. And, and we know that this place has what we need to do it. But yeah, the fact of the matter is like, we, we, we know that there's enough here, enough resources in our community. And that's what makes this place special is that once we get this thing rolling, it's more than just making the tournament. It's, it's playing into that second weekend and, and, and beyond. Cause you know, like, primetime example the last couple of years like it can be done it can be done from from schools like ours nobody this time last year was talking about florida atlantic playing in the final four and it's just it's just something that happens you got to build it and you can build it quietly that's the fun part is that you can kind of sneak up on people with this day and age and i think the changes in our sport are kind of making it easier in a way not not not, not necessarily easier but it's kind of leveling it and i think we see that in in the months of march where Teams can kind of surprise you. I think we definitely off seen that, that last. Oh yeah, go ahead. Don. Yeah, no, go ahead. Go ahead, Colin. Follow. <laughs> um, building off that last point about things getting easier, things getting harder. Similar to the expectation setting, how much of your own roster do you kind of have to evaluate after each year? Where maybe you're going to coach and you're saying, like, I don't know. For example, he he wasn't there when you guys were there, but Illinois State the year before you guys got there had a guy go to Kentucky. Mm-hmm. How much of the evaluation is not only, hey, this is a freshman who could take a leap as a sophomore, but is it, hey, this kid's going to go somewhere else. He's just outgrown his his stay here. We need to go backfill that. And how much is it like recruiting in the portal, whether it be, you know, guys who have a ton of stats from smaller schools versus, you know, you guys grabbed a couple big 10 players who maybe didn't get as much burn in the last few years because they're on very high level programs where maybe they had to wait their turn. Like how much has the evaluation yeah. gotten more difficult? Yeah, it's a really great question. And it, it's, it's hard to answer because it really is going to depend every spring on what your team needs. And and you're really not going to know that until the dust settles and guys tell you that they're, that they're leaving. Um, you know, it'd be naive to think that nobody leaves, but in an ideal world, like, we have everybody back next year except for Kendall Lewis and Ryan Schmidt. Like we're built in a way right now where we have guys that are an older team now, but we have guys with two years. So this thing's kind of setting up to be an older year and have, have a real core group of guys um, that could be back. But the reality is just the the numbers kind of prove otherwise, but how we look for it um, kind of got sidetracked there. Go, go ask that question again. The, the first part. So especially with your own roster, obviously we've talked portal up down, but how do you kind of self scout to the point where you're like, I, this kid's so good that I know I'm not coaching him next year. And it's for a good reason. You know, it's like, it's like high school losing a kid to a prep school or something. Yeah. I mean, so hindsight of that is you hope that if anyone's that good, that means something really good's happening on your team that year. So, so that would be the one silver lining in that scenario is okay. If he's, if he's good enough to make that jump, hopefully he produced for us and and that production led to some wins and 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 help us achieve some of our goals. Um, but you know what we try to do and and as we're building this thing and shaping it the way coach wants it to look 
is it's really about like make make their experience so good that they don't want to leave. I know at the end of the day, a number's a number. And and if it's life-changing money, like you just gotta take that. Like Antonio Reeves, you're never gonna win that one. Uh-huh. But the type of kids that we target in recruiting out of high school, just character wise, like I said uh before, like if they're the ones that want to take on that challenge, we're kind of betting on them as the ones that want to see it through. And if and if that and them combined with giving them like an experience that's so good that they don't even ever want, they don't ever want to think about leaving, do our best to do those two things. And, and you just kind of have to live, live with the result. If, 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 if they play well enough that where the money, the money comes calling and, and that's kind of the way that it's going, then, Hey, it is what it is. But, but like I said, hopefully their time here led, led to something really good for them individually and, and for our team. And when you're Going making those that, pitches, oh, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say going off roster construction, you've been involved in college basketball since the very beginning of the transfer portal. So I'm sure there's been a huge shift um, between high school recruiting and transfer portal recruiting and where you're putting your resources. You yeah. said you have an older team. So when you're building for a mid-major school like Illinois State and other schools in the Missouri Valley, do yeah. you think that more schools are trying to build now through the portal maybe getting guys who have more experience because that experience especially with the covid year still in play you got guys with way more college experience who are probably ready to contribute more so than a kid coming out of high school ready to play for the first year in college yeah no that's a uh it's a kind of a debate that probably every coach has to go through and i think you have to kind of make some decisions of of your philosophy and stick to it because if you try to just kind of bounce around and do do a little bit of everything not that it won't work but you just kind of have to stay stay true to how you, how you want to do that in the, in in this era for us i i think our coach like we're taking the balance approach i don't we will never not recruit high school it's really important to get our guys in here at a young age get guys that you're going to build your program around get guys that are you know, like culture warriors, like guys that everything that we're about, we're, we're going to pass that on to them and they're going to carry it for the four years that they're here. Um, but at the same time, there's always going to be gaps in your roster when guys leave. And 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 that's what the portal is going to fill in for, for our team. Um, but sorry, I'm drawing a blank. I had another point to make on that. <laughs> Ask what you asked again. This is this is. <laughs> Uh, talking about just talking about building through high school versus the portal and other teams in the Missouri Valley. Do you think they take oh, yeah. the same approach with like an okay. older team? Yeah. So I think everybody across the country, like just at first glance, you want to be older, right? Like in, in any coach's mind, knee jerk reaction, older probably contributes to winning and, and there's correlation there. Um, but I think what we found is like, there might be, might be misconstrued a little bit and if you're just saying older equals winning because if it's older and it's talent but it's everyone's first year together that that doesn't mean as much so we kind of coined the term and friend of the show our graduate assistant Tyler Hicks he he did a study on it in the spring for us called program equity so it's not how many years have you played in college it's how many years have you played in college at the place that you're at um and especially in our league which is such a well-coached league where teams in our league have systems and systems matter and if you're in the same system over time you're you're going to end up being a really good player in that system so like program equity in our league there's a trend last year program equity 
top two in our league, Bradley, Drake. And then those two teams won the regular season and uh, conference tournament. So just kind of not, not only just looking at age and age and experience, but experience together. Like last night, for example, we played nine guys. Six of them was their first game as a Redbird. So, yeah, we, we might be older right now, but at least in this first part of the segment, there's going to be some growing pains just because we have a group groups of guys. Like there might be lineups where we have five guys that weren't here last year and just, you know, yeah, we, we've been together since June and stuff, but actually going through battle and, and going through wins and losses and, and all the scars that you face in a season with Coach Beaton, that, that stuff, you, you can't really fake that in practice all October. You kind of have to see that through throughout the season. So I think pro program equity is, is something that we're going to target. And that's kind of our approach because keeping guys under, under your roof, that that's what really pays off. And at least in our league contributes to success. How much of your pitch. And so being a mid-major conference, but you know, being, I think, I think most people that follow college basketball to a certain degree have, knowledge of the Missouri Valley, whether they know it or not. I mean, Scott Drew's famous shot, Valpo's, a, they're a Missouri Valley team. Uh, ben Shepard goes in the first round last year. That's a Missouri Valley team. A lot mm -hmm. of people watch Drake, almost beat Final Four Final team Miami. Yeah. Should have should have beaten them, should have covered. Um, but <laughs> that stuff like that, how much of your pitch to not only players in your team, but players in the portal to recruits becomes a – Ben Shepard went to the Indiana Pacers 28th overall or whatever. Tucker DeVries could be a top 60 pick next year. Like how much of it becomes a Valley pitch than a Illinois state pitch. Whereas I'd imagine, you know, coach Calipari isn't necessarily saying, Hey, this guy from LSU went 11th. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's funny you say that we, we haven't done much of that. Um, I think, yeah, I don't. I don't know. That's interesting. I, the, like we, there's never a point when we have a kid on campus where we're really talking about other Valley schools. Um, I think the league has credibility in our region. Um, mm -hmm. It just seems that way in conversations with with these kids and their families. Like, there's a lot of kids that are recruited at the mid major level, and like Missouri Valley offer like that. That means a lot, a lot more than than other stuff to them. Um, I think the league has a great reputation in in that regard. But no, you're right. Those are those are great examples of recent success. And you talk about even further back, Wichita State and, and other things that teams that have come out of this league and stuff like the, the facts are all there. Um, but that's actually just for us personally, not something that we really sell ourselves on. Um, it's kind of more about Illinois State and and the success they can have here. Yeah, gotcha. I feel like the the more I think about it, you probably don't want to go to a high school kid and be like, come to the Valley and then it's like, all right, sweet man, I'll go to Valpo. But maybe a situation where a, someone who's an underclassman has a chance to go be, you know, a, a rotation player, like an eighth man at a high major, maybe you sell them on stay here, trust the process guys have done it before. Yeah. But yeah. I guess, I guess you got to be careful on your pitches these days, depending yeah, on and if it's retention. And, and with that too, like we're recruiting against our conference constantly. Um, mm -hmm. I think like our conference recruits regionally, you know, just because at this level you have to resource wise, it's not like we're flying coaches to high school games in California, Texas, and Florida every night to go, to go see these kids that we're looking at. You know, we might have some that you feel really strongly about and do that, but coaches 
uh, method and he said it when he got hired is like he wants to dominate we're calling it the breadbasket like mm-hmm. we're less than three hours from indianapolis milwaukee chicago st louis like there's some good basketball right right around our area and bloomington normals really ideally located right right in the middle of all of that um crude ohio well with the coach's ties obviously we got big chase walker in in, in this year's freshman class and uh can't talk about him publicly, but if we did this recording tomorrow after he signs his national letter of intent, another Columbus recruit that uh, we could talk about. And uh, this won't drop until tomorrow. So won't drop until tomorrow. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna make the listeners go to Redbird MBB Twitter and, and and check out our our great great videos and posts that we have planned for him. He committed a couple months ago uh, on his visit, but yeah, it's just kind of kind of kind of how the rules go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone go file Andrew Dockich on Twitter. <laughs> He's a great recruiter, done a great job in these last two classes and really found guys that, that we want to build our program around and our, our type of guys. So, yeah, two big signees tomorrow. Really excited. And those will be what for high school of 20? Yeah, they're starting their senior senior year now. So they'll be 24s. And they'll, they'll get to campus next June. Awesome. Um, yeah, I know we talked, talked about, a lot. Oh, go ahead, Dom. I was going to say recruiting against – I was going to get a little – we're going micro to macro. I was going to talk a little Missouri Valley. So if it's Illinois State-centric parse, you can go first. Yeah, I guess while we're on the topic of recruiting, then before we go a little more macro, and I, I realize in advance that you're probably going to answer this with, you know, you never know, but in your – staff what do you think the ideal roster makeup of a redbird basketball team looks like long term once you kind of get out of this you know transfer portal is pretty new there's a lot of guys with covid years there's obviously being a new staff you kind of i'm sure just based on your classes year one to year two taking a lot more high school kids this time around mm-hmm. what do you think the roster makeup looks like with that you know that team equity that program equity as a Redbird staff, what do you think you guys would like to have ideally? So you're saying the actual breakout of our 13? Just, yeah, just kind of like, okay, like we want, you know, like predominantly built on like multi-year high school kids we recruited. We want to mix in, you know, like four high-level transfers that could come from XYZ location. Just obviously you guys probably don't talk about it so in depth like that, but I'm sure you have like philosophies. Yeah, I mean, as long like the high school kids we have coming in and that we have that we've recruited here, like every intention of those guys being here for four years, obviously they're they're I think we've done a really exciting job um, for our program, just about keeping those guys. So if we're just saying big picture about the future, I think about, I think you don't like the high school recruiting is great and it's super important to what we do, but there is, you know, you got to balance your classes and not be too young. You know, you got 13 scholarships. You don't want to have eight of those to be freshmen and sophomores. You know, you don't want to go into a season where more than half of your team, maybe some of the freshmen played the year before, maybe some of them didn't, and they're going into their sophomore year. You don't want to have eight guys where they played a combined, you know, 40 minutes a game, you know, between eight guys last year. Um, so just being mindful of that. So just, and that's why you got to keep – the glue guys around and, and, and keep those culture protectors around and those guys that, that carry the torch and hopefully they stay, they stay there for four years. And then, like you said, just, just adding the pieces that you need. 
Um, the roster is going to look a little funky every spring whenever, you know, it's not going to be ideal about who departs. And those are always tough times just because it's so hectic and you feel like the sky's falling because, oh my God, we have six open spots right now. Like, what are we going to do? But, you know, I think every program's kind of finding a way of it's it working itself out. I, th I think there'll be, I think it'll find its level in the next couple of years after the COVID years disperse, like things will get back to a lot more normalcy eligibility wise. Obviously people are still going to transfer, but I think without doing all the math of knowing how many years guys have like that, that that'll play a big part and it, it will be a lot less hectic for coaches and, and guys, I mean, you're seeing guys, there's three or four this week that have got their waivers denied, you know, guys who thought that they were, got a chance to play another year and NCA is really cracking down on that. So they're, they're kind of setting a precedent of, of what the future of that's going to look like, which we don't need to get into all that, but, but yeah, it's, it's kind of turning the corner on limiting the 27 and 26 year olds that are playing. Yeah. <laughs> if you're born in 96, do not apply for a waiver, apply for a job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Balance though. Definitely big on balance when you're looking at the roster. And like we said, you want, you want to be older. We, we value program equity more than just being older, but like age still matters. You got to have some men out there, like just physically looking at our freshmen and they've done a great job so far. But if you just look at Johnny Kinzinger, our, our point guard, like he's holding his own out there, but like he, he, lo he looks a little different than the rest of them, <laughs> uh, but that's okay. Cause he's really skilled and he's, he's a, He's a bad mf -er, man. He's he's a tough dude. 100%. So, yeah, talking about the Missouri Valley as a whole, um, I know this was talked about a lot nationally with the Big Ten last year and their play style, having like a lot of big guys and maybe not faring as well in the tournament. Mm -hmm. Is there like a certain play style in the Missouri Valley, how you would describe whether it's more teams that are defensive-minded or running gun or shooting the ball, or, or do you think that each program kind of – has their own their own style um i'd say programs have their own style um maybe a fan watching it can kind of honestly like a fan watching it could probably see it clearer than we do because you're so in the nitty-gritty of the scout and like the detail of what to expect from each team that you as a coach you see each team so different but if you're you guys who, who watch mid-major basketball and you watch missouri valley games you can honestly probably see those trends clearer um i don't think it's a fast league i don't think it's like a crazy athletic league um like it's just really well coached i think it's methodical basketball and defense they're gonna make you earn it like we're always playing against a crowded paint teams teams protect the crap out of the paint and the elbows they force you to make jump shots over them um it's not a league really that that rewards giving up layups um so a lot of things that you see in some of the SEC's Big 12s where it's highlight mm -hmm. real dunk shows like you're not you're not finding much of that in our league um and part of that's recruiting and, and the level of athletes and players that we have but also it's just I think it definitely ties a lot to the style um but yeah teams have their own identity of, of how they play and what they run and stuff um and it's cool it's cool especially being in year two you kind of like know everyone's identity after playing them for one for one year and not that you know exactly what to expect but generally speaking like yeah, you, you, you kind of do in a way. It's funny. It's funny just like the reputations that just being in a league and even as a manager at Ohio State, like you had the same feelings in the, in the Big Ten about like, okay, you're going to Penn State. It's 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 snowing. 
they're they're in tenth place, but you better bring your hard hat because that that game ain't gonna be easy. It's gonna be grimy. It's gonna you're gonna you're gonna need every rebound in that game, like things like that that you pick up on, and you can kind of see those in each of the teams that we play. So as you prepare for the year, are you expecting Bradley Drake those teams to to continue to be strong in the conference? Um, yeah, Missouri Valley overall are those. I'm sure you go into every game with the same mentality, same <laughs> scouting, but. Um, there's going to definitely be teams, I think, that probably have a bigger focus or maybe even players specifically that that draw more attention than others. Yeah, I think last year, like, they were way better than the rest um, after playing them and seeing both of those teams. Um, yeah, like, if you say they were 1-2 and then you look at 3-4-5, granted, we are – we were bad. We weren't. We weren't great last year. We were, we were <laughs> far away from this conversation. But just speaking candidly and like looking at the next couple of teams, like Belmont, Southern Illinois, like we hung around and we beat each of those teams. Um, so just like the 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 gap between those top two and then the rest, I think it's way less this year. And I'm not sure they will be the top two. I just think the the league as a whole is going to be. A lot more even. I, th- I don't. I don't think there's really going to be any runaway favorites or a two man race. I think it's going to be a lot of teams playing for those top four spots late in the year because that's a big deal in our league. The way our postseason is set up is top four get the bye until Friday, and then it's a big difference having to only play three games rather than four in in St. Louis. So it looks like you guys hung tough in Bradley last year, though. I mean, yeah, we took them to OT at their yeah. place. Yeah. yeah so. Yeah, that's the war on seventy four though, Dom. I was gonna say you, you throw the record book <laughs> out whenever these two meet. <laughs> Ohio State, Michigan, Illinois State, Bradley. It's right. It's right up there with the best of them. <laughs> Quaker Valley, West A. It's all. It's all <laughs> Quaker Valley Montour. Yep. Yep. No, it'll be um, fun. There, there's a lot, a lot of good teams, and you could try me on any of them. I got, I got my my Valley preseason predictions. Not predictions, but if you if you got it, need any questions answered, I got you, Dom. Uh, um, so wait, going off that, do you have like games circled on your calendar? Like, are there games that I mean? I know you said more like that's that is a rivalry game. It sounds like are there any other games that mean more to the people in normal than other people? Like, I I'm not going to know if there's any teams that maybe you wouldn't as a coaching staff member say, but maybe students on campus really maybe get up for or uh or any games that you guys have served yeah um we're trying to build that back up you know like i think just with the the lack of recent success and the lack of recent excitement around the program there's not like a lot of times where you know the town gets up it's like oh we're playing we're playing penn state like it's it's not as much like that but that's we're trying to put that pressure on and, and build that excitement for four big games like that that when a big team comes in, like we have a beautiful arena, like it should be our advantage. Like that place should be rocking when we have a, a top team coming in and use the home court to our, to our strength. But um, I think so Bradley won and then Southern Illinois, just because they're an in-state school. Um, it was a rivalry way back when. Um, and yeah, but that, that, that'd probably be the next one just within our conference that the people kind of get up for. We do uh we did it last year, we're doing it again this year, but we did a throwback game in our in our old field house, which was awesome. Uh field house Doug Collins played in. Um and, and he comes back for it. He's coming back again this year. So 
we packed that place last year. It was, it was the best environment we coached in last year. Our players said, even some of the guys that transferred from Power Fives, it was the best place, the best environment that they've played in in their whole career. Uh, so getting to do cool things like that, like that's an obvious one that that the people get really excited for. Yeah, talking about circled games and big atmospheres, one game at a time, but December 29th, going down to play at Kentucky. Who do we play? Um, Kentucky. <laughs> I, that's a personal – I have that game circled. So I know that you you have a part in, in some of the scheduling too from your day-to-day stuff. So how does – how do you guys get a game like that? And uh, I'm sure that's going to be super exciting going down there. So um, how does that game end up on the schedule? And Yeah. I, I give credit to uh, Tyler Hicks again. He he was our scheduling guru this spring. Um, it's a it's a bear, man. Like he, mm. you kind of have to have one person running point because there's just so many conversations and stuff happening constantly that like it just seemed like a team effort. Like I I offered to help. It just seemed like I would probably get in the way of of the balancing act that he's trying to pull off and and him with coach Pete. And cause ultimately the head coach is going to say yes or no to the game. It's not just fully on myself or him or anyone. Um, so, so they, the, those two worked in tandem and uh, yeah, it is, it's a crazy, crazy time. Like everyone lies. You keep people on the hook like, Oh yeah, we have that date open. Cause it's all about dates and travel and, you know, sequencing, like you don't want to play all your big games back to back in the beginning, first week of the season and all, all kinds of different stuff based off your coach and, and based off your league when, when conference play starts, based off your facility, if it's available, things like that. Like there's so many different things that play into it that it, it's a bear, man. It's, it's a it's a really tough deal. But games like that, I mean, so it's a big, big to sit like a game like that. It's got to be up to your head coach if if you want something if you want a big challenge like that, like you said, we're, we're kind of in the business of taking challenges head on. We we want to prepare our guys for our league games, and that's our last non-conference before a league game. So what what better way to prepare for our Drake game that next week than to, to go down to Rupp and, and play those guys? So, I mean, getting a game like that actually isn't as hard. Um, yeah, I – the, the the big the big name schools are always looking to 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 fill their schedule um the harder ones are to find like good home and home series with other good mid majors and just finding good teams to play and just working out all the the business side of it because obviously there's a price tag on all this stuff and you know just balancing your schedule so when you're doing the home and homes and the buy games that you don't end up three years down the road where oh no, we're on the road six times this year just because you didn't look at the big picture and, and how your schedule will pan out with timing up home and homes and stuff like that, that you kind of have to look in a lot bigger scope um, than just the season that you're working on um, as far as all those different contracts and stuff. But we're talking mid-major basketball. We we got a slate, man. I know Kentucky jumps off the page for you, but actually I got our schedule here. And if we want to talk mid-major games, we play. St. Louis this Saturday, they're going to be top half A-10 team. Long Beach State, number they're picked first first and second in different polls in, in the Big West. We got Iona, top three. Max School, Tobin Anderson just took FDU on the run. He's He, he did a great job in the portal. They got some dudes, man. They got – Are you guys going to Iona? No, so that'll be – okay, I should have explained. Iona we don't for sure play. This is in our MTE in Fort Myers, so – Depending on how the Long Beach State game goes, we play either High Point or Iona. 
which high point another kind of kind of electric yeah, program. They're, they're always yeah they're yep, always good put up 105 last night so they got some guys that could score a little bit and then on the other side of that bracket Hofstra who's going to be top four CAA with Charleston Drexel those guys uh Buffalo from the Mac Wright State who's, who's going to be the top of top of the horizon and then the Louisiana Ration Cajun so great great 18 field we'll get three great games out of that against mid-major opponents which should be really fun Come back, we played Northern Kentucky, picked first in the Horizon NCAA tournament last year. Norfolk State picked first in their league. Um, that that's actually that's the throwback. Kylo Quinn went there, Gordon. former NBA player. Yeah. And then Semo NCAA tournament team last year. So as far as our non-conference goes, Hick, Tyler Hicks did a great job of just you know giving us. You can make fun of Lords last night if you want, but again, it was it's a season opener. It's whatever it was. It was it was still a good challenge for us to get a different look. But the rest of the way, man, these are some good teams we're playing, um, and it's great because it's just going to prepare us for what we need to be ready to do in December, January, February. Yeah, look what at your the schedule. Uh, schedule. Oh yeah, I, was, I have the schedule too. Uh, the ten thirty tip off against Long Beach State. How do you prepare for ten thirty ten thirty a.m. tip off? Or is that just because, like, the tournament is that doors open, or are we are we tipping uh, off? At no, 10:30? yeah, we're tipping. We're ball, ball, balls up. Then, um, those weeks, man, it's you just yeah, not no routine. It, it's like everything that you do. It's funny. Coaches are so, such routine creatures, and practice planning and and the cadence of what you do in practice leading up to a game day is so important. Every other game of the year. And when you go to these multi-team events, everything is is thrown out the window just because of game times. You're on short prep. You don't know who you're playing until 20 hours before the game. So all, all those things, it's exciting, though. Like, you just have to go into that week as a coach or a staff member. Like, you're not sleeping, you know. You, you want to enjoy the trip a little bit because you're usually in a nice tropical place. But at the same time, there's, there's three games to go win. Um, and, and for our players, too, it requires a great focus. It's, it's a great test for them just to kind of, you know, focus on the task at hand. And if it's at 10.30 a.m. or 10.30 p.m., there, there's probably games across the country based off how these events are set up that are on either. You got you got to be ready because um, the other team's doing it too. Is this during Feast Week that you guys are playing in this tournament? Yep. We'll play Monday, okay. Tuesday, Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Okay. I don't think it was on your online schedule. Maybe I looked too early or something. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Um, but so scheduling wise, I don't know how close you were to scheduling at Ohio State, obviously being a student manager, they're not really asking yeah, so they probably, probably maybe, maybe Tyler Hicks, maybe Tyler <laughs> maybe. Hicks, but they're not maybe. asking Kevin Markley who to play or else they play UC every year and maybe <laughs> Muller. But uh, yeah. how much do you think, and maybe this is going to be more of a guess, but realistically at Illinois State, we've seen the Valley get two teams before. Um Back when, uh, I mean, Drake made it the same year as Wichita, uh, Wichita once, and then I think there there has been a handful of times where the, the Valley's been able to get two in. Yep. But realistically speaking, you guys are, you know, more or less a one bid league. So you're no, you realize at the end of the year that that conference tournament, um, that's going to decide everything. So you're probably mostly looking for, as evident by your schedule to play some, you know, really, really solid mid-major and high-major teams to get ready for that regular season to set yourself up to get that double bye. Whereas maybe at Ohio State, you might be looking for 
you know, some, some easy wins and then a handful of marquee quad one games that could be played at an advantage to yourself to get on the resume. How much do you think differs between preparing your team to actual resume building when a long, when a shot at a, um, at large bid is within reach? That's a really good question. I think probably depends on the state of your program, you know, like, and just the reality that, that as a coach, you have to have, like, we're in the, we're laying the foundation of this thing, you know, like we want to win right now, but you also have to see the reality that we're probably not ready to schedule three high major teams. And, you Mm -hmm. know, like that, will that prepare us? Maybe, but I think putting us in situations, I guess, tough competitive games um, where we can win neutral floor, got some coming to our place on the road for some, like those, those are what's going to be best for our team right now, you know, and next year will be completely different. We'll be at a different stage in the game. We're going to have our guys all for one more year. Our program equity is going to be up our average across the team. So it's just all about the, where, where are you as a program? um, and, And what do you need? You know, but as far as the metrics and the rankings and stuff, everything ties back to the net now. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's obviously what's most important when talking about strength of schedule and what's used for NCAA tournament, NIT. Um, Should should we go down down the NIT? I was just going to ask. It's quite quite the segue. Um, Yeah, man. Do you want to brief brief the listeners on on the changes made in recent weeks? Yeah. So the NIT, obviously – if you're at a high major program, it's not necessarily where you want to go, but especially for a mid-major program, the rule used to be if you won your conference and you didn't win your conference tournament, you made the NIT. Obviously, I'm sure numbers crunch. There's probably some backup rules, but more or less, that's how we always understood it mm-hmm. when we were younger. So, you know, teams like Quinnipiac, when I was growing up, they won the league a couple times, never made an NCAA tournament. You still get to be on national television, a chance to go to the garden maybe even get a home game. For example, Robert Morris or Bobby Moe down in Pittsburgh beat Kentucky that started off the year number one in the country at their place. Mike Mastriani was there. Do that with that information, what you will. The kid's seen upsets. He knows how to prepare for them. (laughs) Um, But anyway, the NIT and the reasoning for it, I've seen like a a couple different things, different places. I don't know. I I think it's kind of all BS, but they seem to be going away from this rule starting this year. They're not going to necessarily equate bids to that. You know, if there's enough pushback from the public, who knows, they could still kind of probably backdoor this thing. But uh, yeah, so if if Drake were to, for example, Bradley last year, they won the Valley. They didn't win the tournament. They got to go to the NIT. This year, that wouldn't be a guarantee. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty biased from the seat I'm sitting in. Curious what you guys think about just – for the event as a whole, like as a fan, do you, are you excited to see, a, you know, a down year from Rutgers, that team to be in over a team like Bradley from last year? Or would you rather see the mid-major get the chance on the big stage to go make a run and do something historic for their program? I like the idea of rewarding. The thing that I think a lot of people love about college basketball is the chaos. And I think not being able to reward sustain, sustained success for 30 games is bad overall for growing the game and what we want to see Yep, as fans. Yeah. I personally think the biggest advantage to having the NIT and the CBI and 
coaches, I think will tell you this is you get an extra and it's the same thing as making a bowl. Like when everyone was going nuts, that Rutgers won six games just now in football to win a bowl. Like you get an extra for basketball. I don't know what it is, but football, it's an extra 15 practices. You get to practice for an extra couple of weeks that you wouldn't have legally if you yep. didn't make the NCAA tournament. So I think that's one reason why these they're probably pushing for this stuff. But I think if if you asked a fan, like if you're watching the NIT, you're probably a fan of mid-major basketball. And like last year, you wanted to see Tyler Perry and Shelly Walker and a lot of these studs who, you know, if they're in a different conference, instead of all being in CUSA or all being in the Valley, stuff like that, you want to see them keep playing. So I think it's almost like if you really want to get more eyeballs on the NIT, you're almost better off doing all like high level mid majors than having like, I mean, Ohio state didn't make anything last year, but like last year's Ohio state team is an example of the type of team from a high major that goes to the NIT or like last year's Michigan team. And like a lot of those players don't even want to be there. Like Michigan lost like Toledo or something like they don't want to be there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As someone who watches a lot of college basketball, if I see, a team like Michigan last year not play great all year and a team maybe from the big 12 or the sec not play great all year. There's nothing that's going to be enticing to me to, to go watch those two teams play who have not been great all year. But if you have teams like, obviously they made the tournament, but uh, like some of these players who are, are great, like Max a Smith, like if they're not in the tournament, those are names that as the college basketball fan, like I want to see them play more games than these teams who have, great records, but maybe came up a little bit short. I I would, as a fan, much rather watch those games than watch two teams that kind of disappointed all year, get some extra games that they truly don't care about. Yeah. I mean, if you, I watched a lot of NIT games last year, strictly just because McGee, I forget his first name, but McGee from Liberty, who's like one of the all-time leading scorers in that conference. They lost in the championship game to Kennesaw state who almost beat Xavier Jelly Walker played in it because who was CUSA's winner last year? Um, it was someone pretty good. Because UAB lost and North Texas lost. FAU? Or no, they just moved there. Wait. No, because FAU's American now, right? That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, it might have been. Yeah, it was FAU. Because yeah. FAU... Yeah, so FAU wins conference at USA last year. Goes to the fucking Actually, final they, they were pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Before the tournament, as like someone who follows mid-major basketball, they probably had now John L. Davis, these guys coming back, like they're going to be in Chicago tomorrow. I'm going to see them play and stuff. But like a year ago, I knew FAU as like the team. Like I, when I was a kid, I would think about mid-major teams as two ways. Like there's the team that has like your Steph Curry, your Jelly Walker, your Fletcher McGee, like these guys who it's like, this is a borderline NBA player, Max A. Smith. That's them. really fun. Yeah. that Those are really fun. Then you have like the more team ones, which like VCU, I mean, obviously Gordon Hayward, but that second Butler team that didn't really have anyone, I guess Shelvin Mack played in the NBA. So you can't really say that, but like those guys are like far, like better built to contend in like an actual tournament, but they're a lot less fun. Cause like these magical runs go guys go on. Like, Last year, seeing FAU win that conference was almost disappointing because there were so many names. Yeah, and then they went went to the fucking Final Four and were a shot away from a national championship game. So and, yeah. and looking, North Texas won the NIT and Charlotte won the yep. CBI. So they won. Yep. They were Final Four and, and won the other two major tournaments. So 
being able to see that, like the things that that can do for a conference, exactly. I think is way more impactful to no the doubt. game than, than seeing than seeing one more game of views for for the tenth place for team Rutgers, the Big for sixteen yeah. and fourteen Rutgers. And that's the part <laughs> I think explaining this for anyone listening that doesn't know the details of the rule is go not only going away from the auto bid for a regular season conference champion, but the rewarding the power six conferences with two more automatic bids to the NIT. So say the big 10 gets nine teams into the NCAA tournament, 10th place and 11th place who granted, okay, they're, they're probably all right. They're getting an automatic bid to the NIT. While a conference champion, like anyone that we're talking about, say just saying in the Valley, the Bradley example last year, who's a damn good team and really has something to prove for their program and going on an NIT run means something. Uh, opportunity to play on the big stage like that stuff and when you're where we're at and in the program building stage and sustaining the success that Bradley's had like those are huge opportunities that they have and if that were taken away just to let it a 10th place team in from from last year's big 10 that's the part that's really disappointing um just because you know okay say say it was Rutgers well Rutgers you had 20 opportunities to prove yourself in your in your conference season like you've had you you're given the chance to play, you know, the 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 non-conference schedule in higher level MTVs, every opportunity to improve your net, every opportunity to improve yourself to to be in that field of 68. Recruiting budget's like 17 times bigger if we want to even right. go down to the grassroots. Exactly, exactly. But but yeah, I'm not even gonna do that to them. I'm just saying you've had opportunities to prove yourself and to prove, you know, whatever deservingness for for the postseason. Um and then you got teams that, like Dom mentioned earlier, sustained sustained ah, sustained success. Exactly what I did earlier. That's exactly what I mentioned earlier. Yeah, <laughs> sustained success throughout the entire year, which goes unrewarded for for teams that are that are damn good teams. I would almost lean more on the the side of like Rutgers was a one seed in the NIT last year, lost in the first round to Hofstra. Yeah. Um, looking back there at you it, go. I'd almost <laughs> rather have a tournament full of. Like have no none of the power six teams who are getting yeah. five, six, seven, eight bids to the tournament. And you're gonna have some really high level games with some guys that maybe you didn't get the opportunity to watch as much throughout the regular season. But yeah. No, it's uh it's an ongoing debate. I'm sure there's a lot of unhappy coaches across the country right now that are at schools like ours and stuff, but it's part of them, man. It's part of it. So you know, hopefully you put yourself in a position where you get that obviously the main goal is the main goal and and you and you get your name called on selection Sunday, but if not, maybe you know, you crafted a schedule and you beat a lot of good teams that also beat a lot of good teams. And that and that's kind of what you have to rely on uh to build that net and then hopefully grab one of those last 20 spots in the NIT. But yeah, I'm glad we talked about that. It'll be interesting to see how it pans out and any pushback from coaches uh just how, how they proceed, you know, because that was pretty big, pretty big bomb to drop going into the season. Yeah. Dama, I got a few more questions for Mike to run through rapid fire. Is there anything else more bigger picture that you wanted to talk about or? Yeah. Uh, I was wondering like last night, obviously huge upset JMU over Michigan state. Mm -hmm. uh, can you talk about as a mid-major, like what, does that mean to JMU and like what that can do? Cause obviously watching last night, a lot of people 
like it and they don't think about it. But I feel like that a game like that can have long lasting impacts on a program. So yeah, from your perspective, being like in a mid major, what does that? What do games like that mean to programs like JMU or last year like FDU, which obviously is bigger than the tournament? But yeah, no, I mean it means everything. Like the eyeballs put on your program, like everyone's talking about JMU today. Like that was they they were cool. They were fun. Everyone was behind them last year because that's the beauty of our sport. Is like if you're if you're not a fan of either team, like you want that to happen. Like you wanted it to end that way. The guy who scored zero points all the game to stand there, catch and shoot, and knock that three down to go up four with 10 seconds. Like you you want that to happen. And that's just any basketball fan can attest to that. So like it's just that when you get the whole population of of college basketball fans you know, on your side, that that's a, you're riding a high that's like not matched by anything. Um, and stuff like that can really propel your program in a number of ways and put you on the map, you know, just want to win like that, you know, it just, just getting your name out there. Any coach will tell you that just recruiting purposes, just the, the brand that you're trying to build. Um, it's something that you can hang your hat on so that you can look back on your non-conference schedule and, you know, view it as a success, right? Cause they're a real team too. And like, they have a resume to build. Like we talked about, like it's getting harder and harder to build a resume. So when like that, like when it comes to NIT time and there's only 20 spots to fill now for, for mid-major CAA team JMU, but they have a Michigan state win on their resume. Like that could propel them to, to keep on playing and, and they could be a team that makes a run in the NIT. So it's just a world of opportunity from, from one game like that. Uh, not only for your fan base, but then, just to put you on the national scene, even if it is just for a day until the next upset happens. That's, that's something everyone dreams of, you know? Mm-hmm. And and it's interesting too, because if you guys succeed this year, find yourself in the tournament, the beauty of the tournament is it's teams are going everywhere to play. It's neutral sites. It's all over the place, but a team like Illinois state would, if the, if you guys got in a game as a lower seed, you'd turn it into the, the home crowd. Cause you've seen, uh fgcu in philly a yeah. long time ago uh like they yeah. those lower seeds become the fan favorites and the crowd favorites so yeah, it's really right. interesting because a because a low seat a low team can get in and almost take over home court advantage as long as they like hang tough for the first to the like the 12 minute mark of the first half it's a great point and i've never thought of that and you know just being there would be be you know obviously not the end the end of our goals but just being there is is such an exciting thing to think about, but yeah, you're right. That that would be such a, a cool experience, you know. Get get a big arena behind you, and you know, play America's Cinderella just just for a a blip. But yeah, no, great, great, great point. Great thoughts. All right, Maz, I got a couple rapid fires for you, and then we'll let you get back to uh, preparing for. Who do you guys have next? You weren't paying attention, were you? Uh, not as enough as I not enough. <laughs> St. Louis on. Saturday night. Come on, St. Louis on Saturday. Okay, yep. Um, the 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 Billikins. Billikins, yep. So, couple rapid fires for you. Gonna kind of go macro to micro on it. Um, so obviously you spent a year coaching a current Kentucky player and a lot of other players on the high school level. Being a high school basketball coach, I've heard this from your dad, and I think it's true. A lot of people say you have to fit your system to your players because especially coaching at a public school, 
you don't have any control over that. Yeah. In the college game, how much of your coaching or the philosophy of your staff is looking for players to fit a system versus looking to build a system around the players you have, especially in this portal era where you can kind of go find talent in different avenues now rather than just high school recruiting. Yep. I think um, there's definitely still some of that a lot less on the high school level, like you said, just because you have more control in, in recruiting and, and you can kind of see a kid and recognize that, yeah, that's the type of guy that'll really help us do it how we do it. Um, but at the same time, like you have to have the awareness that year over year, you, you can't just do the same stuff. Like your, your roster is going to evolve. It's going to take different shape. It's not going to be exactly how you planned it, especially because of everything we've talked about with transfers and whatnot, that it's never going to look exactly how you think. And you might have, you know, four, eight, eight guards that are, that are six of them are your six best players, you know, like, and you might just have to play certain lineups, play certain offense that, if you're recognizing uh, your strong spots positionally, it might have to change the way that you play. Um, and again, you're going to have to recognize that early just to have your offense and your system in and, and ready to roll by the time the season runs around. But we're a perfect example of that. We played pretty spread out last year, a lot of four round one. And when we went smaller, more five out stuff. But this year with the roster additions we have, like we, we we're playing two forward lineups now um, and kind of have a whole new offensive system formed around that that coach went out learned formed made it his own took pieces from 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 other schools um and yeah something completely different than what we did last year but we, we were forced to because with the, the players that we have and what we expect out of them uh you know you, you got to put them in situations to succeed and not ask them to do things that are kind of you know outside of, of 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 their the type of player that they are And then speaking of that, so I obviously understand the fact that, you know, you're part of a staff and when you're looking at players, it's you and the staff looking at it and you guys ultimately make a group decision with the head coach giving the final yes or no, like just about anything in the program or in any field. But if I'm speaking purely to Michael Mastriani, the basketball coach, player, whatever, whether you're going to watch a player or just enjoying a game, what certain things you look from a player purely on court, because obviously there's a lot of intangibles that go into this, but purely on court things you look for a player that make you say, that's a guy who I really think could work, who I could work with, who just about anyone could work with. Yeah. So you're not saying not the intangible stuff. Cause that stuff. Yeah. Honestly- that's it, almost more important. It trumps it, but just, it trumps it really. Yeah. Well, you can inv- do both. Do both. Yeah. I mean, so the intangible is like we recruit people first. Um, first thing when you walk in our locker room, we have a big sign that says you win with people. Um, and that's something that's always going to guide us. And we will never compromise character in recruiting just because they're talented. Like you guys know just from work, we spend so much time together whether it's our players or our staff that like quite simply put the head coach wants to be around people that he likes to be around. And I'm fortunate enough to be working for a guy that the values, you know, character and integrity and, and, and stuff like that. So we, we really do a good job in our recruiting of before we even bring a kid to campus, we have a really good feel on who they are as a person. And when they're here on our official visit, we've had great success as far as just like 
success of our visits because I think we know before they even get here that they're our type of guy. So I think the intangibles and the character and, and feeling that out in the recruiting process, our assistants do a tremendous job of getting to know these guys uh, early in the process and getting to know them as people while also concurrently evaluating them as a player. But as a player, if you're just asking for like one skill that I watch, I mean, I'm a sucker for or a couple. That. I'm a sucker for someone that can pass. I think that like demonstrates like anyone that could pass, like you're, you're, you're telling me that you have IQ. You're you're smart. You know how the game works. You at any position needs to pass. Um, like I, I just think that's one thing that really stands out, and it's overlooked because like, you know, every, everyone wants to score, but if you find a guy that's committed to to doing what's right for his team and and setting other guys up, like that's that's a skill I think that transferable that not a lot of guys work on, and and I think. Like I said, first, more importantly, it just speaks to their IQ and their understanding for the game, which, you know, are, like I said, back to our, that's probably more applicable to our league because you're not going to win with the most talent or the most best athletes or anything like that. You're you're going to win by playing smart, tough basketball. Um, yeah. So that's, that's just one skill, I guess, just picking, obviously everything's important and stuff like that and, and things, but that, that's something me personally um that I like seeing in in our recruits and probably a little biased just too because of the way I played and and what I enjoy doing when I'm out there I think that's just kind of like the the relation that 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 I have just as my my former days as a player so now getting a little more conference oriented um for for the people listening who may not be as familiar with the valley can mm-hmm. you give you know, five, six guys that non-Redbirds that you think are, you know, some of the best players in the conference, guys to watch. They don't necessarily have to be like, you know, first team all conference, but just the five players to watch. Yeah. Um, you got to start. I mean, just out of, like Tucker DeVries, he's returning player of the year in the conference. Um, I mean, he's a premier player. Like you said earlier, is a great chance of being drafted if – things go as planned and he's, he's a tough guy to prepare for man you prepare for him all you want he's gonna he's gonna find a way to score his and he's just you know coach's son he, he plays really hard does a lot of things the right way um so yeah got gotta start with him just because of what he does and and what he did last year for a winning team and for him to come back that's that's huge for their program uh bradley M- malevi leons he was defensive player of the year in our conference super long about six eight super big wingspan i think he was like top three in the valley in steals and blocks so he's great perimeter defender but also just like he's tough as nails man um he's he's a really tough dude can can guard a lot of positions and uh super versatile so he's really impactful on the defensive side for them um boneborn electric he's northern iowa's point guard little dude no, no more than about six foot with his curly hair on top um, but he's he's lefty, just score. Uh, he, he can obviously pass two balls in his hands a lot, and a lot ran through him last year. Um, but he can score in a variety of ways. He's got all kinds of different finishes around the rim, and, and he shoots like over 40% from three. And I'm not just talking catch and shoot. Like he's the one bringing the ball up. So a lot of his threes were off the bounce and just not normal shots that the guys hit at a, had a consistent clip. So he's extremely hard to prepare for. Um, but yeah, he's. He's he's a primetime guy too. Uh, he was all league. I want to say second team last year, maybe first team, 
but yeah, he's he's gonna lead, should lead them in scoring. Um, but yeah, he's he's a hell of a player. And then let's see, K. Tyson will be a sophomore. He was all freshman team last year at Belmont. I want to say maybe freshman of the year in the league. But yeah, he's he's great. Just his frame. His brother played at uh, Clemson, and I think he was on some G League rosters this year. I was actually surprised with the freshman year he had. I kind of thought he might be a guy that takes a step up. Um, could happen after this year, but yeah, he's just with his frame and his skill set. He can he can shoot it. Um, again, just a lot of finishes around the rim, and he's like six six eight. Um, so yeah, Kate Tyson from Belmont, and then was that four? I'm mm-hmm. gonna go off the beaten path a little bit. My my colleagues make fun of me because. I give this dude a lot of love and a lot of people don't, but this will be perfect. This is what you're looking for. Rob Perry, Murray state. He is a scorer, man, three level scorer, And like, you want to talk about like a microwave guy that when he gets going, like it's a problem, man. He, that, 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 that's that guy. Um, he scored a ton of points. I want to say at Stetson before transferring to Murray last year. So he scored well over a thousand points as a college player. Um, and yeah, I just see him as just like a, one of the best scores in our league, um, all around game, maybe, maybe whatever, maybe not the same as the rest of those guys, but that dude can score the basketball and he's going to win his team games because of that. Like if you blow, blow the scout on that guy, like he's going to make you pay for it. And, uh, he let us up last year, both games. I think he had 20 plus, but I want to say he had 27 on us at home where he was making, making threes with guys in, in his, in his grill. So yeah, there's your five. I wouldn't go and say it's the best five in the league, but yeah, just kind of a little insight on on some some mm-hmm. key players on some a lot of different teams. Those guys are all very different from each other, which makes the league fun, you know. Like those are some of our best players that we have in our league, and they're all so different. But versatile, awesome. versatile is the one thing that all of them kind of share. That's awesome. So last one, gonna get as micro as we can get here is if someone's listening who may be a college basketball casual. Give them a pitch on why to watch the Redbirds this year and what to expect from them. Yeah. So we why watch the Redbirds this year? We we talked this whole this whole show about, you know, a lot of roster construction, uh, program building. And I think our staff has done a tremendous job in the areas of of, you know, one of the solutions we mentioned earlier was balance. And if you look at our roster, um, we retained seven guys from last year, so we had, we had eight spots to fill, um, which is a lot. That's a lot of work to do, but we did it in a balanced way. So returners, we, we, we kept our core group of four guys that were kind of our biggest contributors last year that still have remaining eligibility. So you kept uh, versatile forward and Kendall Lewis, who can guard one through five, uh, one of the best rebounders I've, I've ever been around. Um, just gritty, hard-nosed, tough dude, uh, one of our captains that kind of is the heartbeat of our team. Kept Luke, Luke Kazupki, who's a knockdown shooter, tough guy, played at Chaminade, one of the all-time leading scorers there uh, behind Jason Tatum. Um, just a lot, a lot of big names coming out of that school, and I think he's fourth all-time in, in scoring. So he was a highly touted recruit. Dom mentioned earlier he went to K-State, uh, and then we got him on the back end just looking for a bigger role here. 
So he's he's a great. He's a guard with great size, one of our best on-ball defenders, and just really embodies like the toughness of our team. And then two dynamic scorers in Darius and Malachi. Malachi, he's the best shooter in the Missouri Valley when it comes to catch and shoot. I have no problem saying that on the record because because I tell him that every single day. When he gets going, he gets going. Um, and he's going to have a lot more opportunity this year playing off the ball. He had to help us at point last year. So now we can get him some some easier, cleaner looks, and he's going to be awesome. Darius Burford led us in scoring last year. Just uh, breakneck speed. Like, he's he's a lightning bolt. When he gets going, he really cooks it up. And it's a look that a lot of teams in our league don't have. So just bringing those four back and then talk about the balance of the freshman we brought in. We brought a big back-to-the-basket Chase Walker. We got Johnny Kinzinger, a.k.a. Johnny Basketball, uh, Mr. Basketball in the state of Wisconsin. He's he's a he's a Bobby Hurley type. If you want if you want to give him a player comp, he's he's tough as nails, makes the right play, shoots the cover off the ball, everything that you would want. And then Ty Pence, just like a versatile three four man. Uh, we're asking a lot of him just to guard different positions right now, but just an electric scorer, um, great athlete, plays above the rim, all that stuff. So that's our freshman. Great balance that that complements our return as well. So then, like we talked about earlier, just filling in the pieces. So what did we need? We needed veteran point guard. We went and got that, a guy in our league, Dalton Banks. Um, he's he's from Southern Illinois, played a lot of minutes in our league. Jordan Davis uh, from the Big Ten, from Wisconsin. He, he's great catch-and-shoot shooter and then probably one of our best on-ball defenders. He brings that Wisconsin toughness, you know, the style of play that, that they really value guarding the ball, um, something that we really had to improve on from last year's team, just, just guarding the ball late game. When when someone when Murray State's going to Rob Perry, who are we going to throw on Rob Perry to make sure he's shut down? And then just guys to throw to on the block and Miles and Brandon Lieb. Miles was the leading scorer at Monmouth and Lieb transfer from Illinois. So I mean, we got it all. We we had some holes to fill. We we were building last year. We won eleven games, which was not fun. But I think if you look across the valley as far as improvements being made, you know, we finished. I get it mixed up all the time. We finished ninth or 10th. We finished ninth. Yeah. Cause you were in the eight, nine game. Yep. As far as improvements being made with everything that we're bringing in and the veteran presence and, you know, our program equity, it's in a good spot because we we've retained our core. You know, we have a lot of guys that have had the sweat equity and, and started tons of games for us last year and played a ton of minutes for us last year. And, and those four first guys I mentioned, uh, you know, we have, great opportunity um to go and and probably be the most improved team i think in the valley and that's a really exciting thing and a reason to jump on board and get behind the redbirds uh yeah just because i think we have the biggest opportunity to take the biggest step forward as far as any other these teams in our league you know we've talked about some of the top teams and them having some some great success in past years and and now it's our turn to, to catch up to them and you know, give them a run for their money in, in, in the Valley. I should mention too, we have more, a few other guys, Ryan Schmidt and Haruna Sissoko, two guys that have been here since we got here um, that are a really big part of, of, of what we do. And, and just other guys that are, that are always ready, you know, like when we throw those guys in for the, for the minutes that, that we need them, those two always seem to step up and, and Haruna is known for his big play chase down block in, in our throwback game last year, he saved us the game. Um, so yeah, those those guys are always ready and just more guys that that have returned and and carried our culture. So yeah.
I, I think that that's the answer there is, is hop on now because you're going to be late pretty soon. You know, we're, we're this thing, this team thing's going like that and it, it's about to take off. So we're having fun with it and I'm really excited to get, it's time, man. We played last night. I was going to say to get the games going, but, but it's here, it's here and we're now in the thick of it, which is exciting for, for any coach. All right, Dom, anything else or, uh, we all I don't have any. Side. I don't have anything else, Mike. Thank you. I mean, your knowledge and passion about college basketball like shines through. And I know, as a mid major, you don't get a lot of those that information if you're listening to to some of these other podcasts or other things. So personally, I re- I really do appreciate you taking the time, and I yeah. feel like I learned a lot, and I loved uh, loved learning about about some program equity, and I can't wait to follow you guys this year. So. I'm super excited. I can tell you're excited. So we are, we are. Our coach has been doing this for 23 years and and he said on the record, never been more excited about, about a season than this one. And I think that comes from a place of, you know, doing better, obviously a disappointing year is his first year as a head coach. Disappointing. You know, you gotta be realistic with the situation, but just as a competitor, that's what's disappointing part is every time we step on the floor, you want to win. But I think his excitement draws from that, but also like, just the the group of guys we have, like the, the the passion you're talking about, is because like we really freaking love this group, and and I think we have enough to to do some damage and and have a lot of fun with it. So our depth, our depth will be some of the, that sets us apart than than a lot of teams. Like I routed off all those names, all those guys are going to be called on pretty consistently, consistently. Like, and that's something where you can really wear on teams if if you got two two platoons of of guys coming in and out, which we're not set up in that way to, to do the whole Kentucky blue white that they did back, back in those days, but uh, pretty close to it with, with our depth, which we got to use that to our advantage. All right, Mike, thanks so much uh, to all the listeners out there. Grab any SPM plus account. It's really yeah. not that expensive. Not. Watch the Redbirds. What do we, are you as ESPN plus on Saturday? Uh, it might be. Is that a national game? I feel like is that a CBS game, or did yeah. I just like have a dream yeah. about it? <laughs> Not national. It's probably it's probably like CBS Sports or um, it might be something regional, like one of the like NBC regionals or something. Okay. Not, Not marquee. Marquee is you can't get marquee unless you like live in Wrigleyville. It's so annoying. <laughs> I I digress. Find a way to watch the Redbirds. Cheer Find on Mike way. and the guys. Year two. It's only going up from here. Um, and then don't be surprised when the Redbirds are playing in the uh, Arch Madness coming up and making making a real run at things and maybe making some noise. So thanks again to Mike. And um, I appreciate you guys. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. Go Birds. All right. Um, huge interview. Uh, got a lot of time out of Mike. I found it really interesting learning about program building, program equity, NIT, what it takes to uh, to build a program because we talked about JMU. JMU wins last night, and a lot of people can figure out about it by next week or you'll look back at the year in review and be like, you remember that. But for schools like that, the people in the building, it means everything. I mean, it's like, oh, it's just a game, but like that's Mike's job. Like at Ohio state, he was a manager. This is like, he's, this is his full-time job. So this matter, these teams matter to a lot of people. Um, Obviously matters a lot to the players and everybody involved. So 
Uh, stuff like that's awesome to see. We're obviously going to be following the Redbirds pretty closely throughout the year. Um, you're going to get an we'll opportunity. try and keep people updated on them too. Yeah, weekly, you're hopefully going to get an opportunity to see them live mm-hmm. once or twice. I know they play in and around Chicago land, so. Um, but college basketball is back and uh, came in a big way. 130 games yesterday, and of course, JMU going on the road and, and taking down Michigan State. But we are going to get to some football too. Um, definitely a little bit lighter, abbreviated, but some big some big NFL storylines this week. Um, personally, Eagles beat the Cowboys, improved to eight and one into the bye. You looked at the schedule, you see Cowboys, Dolphins before the bye. Then after the bye, you get Chiefs, Bills, 49ers, Cowboys, Seahawks. Eight and one is a dream at the bye. They're basically two, they're two and a half games up on the Cowboys, two games up on the Niners. And the only team within a game of them is the Lions, who Lions are a great team. That's the only, I'm not really worried about. No, they're about not. They're the not Lions. a great team. They're a good team. I'm not team. worried about, like, if yeah. they do, if they, getting the one seed is so important in the NFL playoffs. If the Eagles get the one seed, I will feel supremely confident that they can win two playoff games with that extra bye week. Going to that, got to win the division. You can't win three road games. That makes it very difficult. So step one, beat Dallas at home. Uh, step two, you go down there and you can take care of them. 49er game will be big, but like, I'm not, if, if, and if there's an NFC championship game in Detroit, I'm not going to necessarily, I'd, I'd rather go to Detroit than go to San Fran or go to Dallas or go to Seattle. So obviously all those games matter. They're all important, but um, that game, biggest takeaway, the Eagles, they continue to win games where I don't, the offense is starting to click or like the defense will look good, but we haven't really seen a full 60 minutes of them being at their best. Um, by we could have come at a better time and they're still eight and one. So I feel great about the Eagles. I don't know about you, someone outside what you think when you watch the Eagles play, maybe you're like, how is this team eight and one or like, wow, they just like find a way to win. That's kind of how I feel is like good teams find a way to win. And it's hard to win NFL games, and this is a good team that just keeps finding finding a way. Yeah, I think my takeaway with the Eagles right now is like – so I think about it in two – there's like two types of good teams having poor starts. There's the Eagles like where it's like you keep winning, so you can't like – there's nothing – or there's like the Bengals where it's like the Bengals look awesome right now. Guess what? The Bengals still have three losses, four losses, like – you would way rather be in the Eagles shoes where it's like, yeah, sure. You can come up with a million complaints saying like, Oh, they haven't looked their best. Like what if they never hit their, like you're eight and one. I'd way rather be eight and one, not hitting my stride than, Oh, we're four and four, but we're starting to figure it out. It's like, yeah, you've lost four games. Like you, you better hope that you don't trip up once or twice more because, you know, unless you get to 11 wins, you really can't guarantee anything. Maybe 10, 10 can guarantee you a playoff spot nowadays, but like yeah. way like Eagles win three more games and they're making the playoffs guaranteed, maybe even two more like, and they still play the giants. So it's, it's definitely, they're in an awesome spot. I think they look like the best team in the league. Um, Cause the chiefs offense does not like speaking of that game, the chiefs defense is awesome, which is like, has been for a couple years. And I think their whole plan with trading Tyreek and then using those first round picks, both of them on defense was kind of like the let's build something sustainable because we have Kelsey and Mahomes and we can figure it out. 
and then build around the offensive line. The O-line has gotten a lot worse this year, which hurts them. And they still haven't figured out receiver, it seems like, even though Rice is coming on a little bit. They, I don't think they can, they definitely can win the Super Bowl. And I think I'd like to add the Ravens to the conversation, but I think the teams that can win the Super Bowl this year are the Eagles, the 49ers. I want to say the Cowboys is the third NFC team, but I don't think they can. So I really think it's just those two. And then I think it's the Chiefs, the Bengals, the Ravens. That might be it. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't put the Bills. Like, if the like, Bills won, I'd be shocked. If the Cowboys won, I'd be I'd, shocked. Yeah, I'd be very surprised if either of those teams got got there, let alone winning it. Um, like, Seattle's decent in the NFC. I'd be shocked. But they just got worked. If they made the – if they are playing in an NFC champ, if they're playing championship Sunday, I'd be shocked. Yeah. If the Lions are playing championship Sunday, I would be pretty surprised because that would mean they probably have to go on the road win the playoff game or they won two playoff games in a row. So yeah, it's a short. We're getting to the point of the season where it's it's kind of a short list, but it's still a toss up. Uh, like Dolphins haven't shown us really anything yet. Um, they lose to every good team they play. Yeah, they've lost to the three teams they played with winning records. Uh, it, it's really a shame because, and we can, we can transition this into a quick, you know, few minutes on the Jets' loss last night. Obviously, I'm sure people are waiting for that reaction. But if Aaron Rodgers is healthy, I think the Jets have the best team in the AFC right now. Like, I'm not putting everything on Zach Wilson, but, like, if Aaron Rodgers was himself from two years ago, obviously they their offensive line is not great. They've had a lot of injuries on the O-line, which, you know, maybe if Rodgers doesn't get hurt, those guys don't get hurt. You know, you got to be – if we're doing the wishful thinking, we're doing the whole damn thing. But, obviously, they're light at wide receiver. But I think if you look at it, like, the Jets lost because their offense is terrible. Their offensive terrible because it starts with the quarterback, but it's also the offensive line, but it's also there's no wide receivers outside of Garrett Wilson, et cetera, et cetera. But if you look right now, is there an AFC team that scares you more than the Chiefs did last year? The Chiefs or the Bengals did last year? I don't think now, there is. I, I think the Bengals – I right now if I had to pick, I I would have – like betting wise, for sure, I think the best value is going to be on the Bengals right now. I think the Bengals are the best team in the AFC right now, with Bengals healthy Ravens Burrow. It's going to be a good. Uh, I don't yeah. know when they play, but that'll be that'll be a great game. Um, I don't think the more... the Chiefs do. The Chiefs have scored like no second half points this year. Yeah, they're t- they just find a way though. Like they're not going to lose at home in the playoffs, so mm-hmm. they're going to need to to have a couple missteps and then have to. But they're not going to have to go to a Cincinnati. Like maybe if they have to go to a Baltimore, that's a tough. That's a really going to be a tough game in the mm-hmm. playoffs. But uh, not many teams are going to go into Arrowhead and win in the playoffs. The only person to do that's Tom Brady. So uh, probably. Well, Joe Burrow did it in overtime two years. Oh, ago. and Joe Burrow. So yeah. So yeah, Joe Burrow and almost did it last number. year. Uh, so like, they're definitely the biggest threats. I'd say like, yeah, I think there's about five teams that can. There's only five teams in my mind that like I can even really see getting to a Super Bowl uh, with the Eagles. So you're an Eagles fan. You're on top right now. Yeah, number one team you're most afraid of in either either uh, conference. Like it's it's you get to the Super Bowl and it's like anything can happen. The Cowboys looked good. 
they would be like my the team that I'm keeping the eye on the most in the regular season, just because if they lose the 49ers and then the 49ers are the one and the Eagles are the two, that's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. If they have a tough stretch and then lose in Dallas and then all of a sudden you're the five seed, then it's like, fuck. Yeah. What are we going to do? So I guess the Cowboys for that sense, because the consequences are greater if you let that them catch you as opposed to the 49ers. But it it's really just like, you're looking inward. You're saying, just get healthy. Dallas Goddard broke his forearm, but it's only supposed to be, they say four weeks. He takes his time and it's six weeks. He's still getting a couple games in before the playoffs. Um, so I'm just worried about like everybody staying healthy and continuing to play well coming into this stretch. I think we're going to learn. It's going to be tough because like this stretch is going to be really tough. So they just have to be competitive and, and play some, put some full games together. And if they go, if they go three and two out of the next five, then they have Giants, Cardinals, Giants to end the season. If they go three and two and then sweep Cardinals, Giants, Giants, they can't like even if the Cowboys win their last nine games, the Eagles would still win the division. So it really is all right, right in front of them. Looking to be the first NFC East division winner, back to back division winner since the early two thousands. Um, so they they're in a good spot. Uh, I want to ask you your opinion on something because I'm obviously more in tune with like Eagles Twitter, but that uh, Shoemaker touchdown that got overturned, people are saying should, if he bobbled it, it could have been a touchdown. Like, I think it's pretty cut and dry. People on Twitter, like if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see like I read posted a picture. Chris Sims is like, Chris Sims is like, so if you catch it and you're down, so he's like, if you catch it and you're down and then the ball lands in the end zone, it's not a touchdown. Like, seems like a loophole. I'm like, he had so, possession of the ball. His knee touched the ground. He has possession of the ball and the ball short of the line. Like, it's pretty cut and dry that, like, <laughs> that was not going to be a touchdown. So this is where I see, I see your point, obviously. But the the place, and I hate Chris Sims because he had, he said Zach Wilson was like next and he also got Lamar and Pat Mahomes and Josh Allen, quote unquote, right. So I was, that made me think, so, so, so screw him. It's not even his fault. It's just whatever. He got my hopes up. Regardless, his point is this. If Schumacher, fun fact about him, I grew up playing basketball with him. He was from a town over. Um, I, did, I did not know him well by any means. It was just like he played with similar guys. So we'd play like pickup and on teams and against each other, but like not friends whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Um, If he catches that ball, right. And he lands like that and he hits the ground and the ball pops out. That's not even a catch. Yeah. So if he caught, cause like, let's say he caught it in the end zone in the paint and his knees are down and he has the ball and he's being touched. According to you saying he's short, then he's down in the end zone and where he hits the ground shouldn't matter. So well, Chris, gotta, Sim- yeah, okay. Yeah. So Chris Sims is saying if you have to complete the cycle of the catch for it to be a catch, shouldn't where you complete the cycle of the catch matter for where you're down? But then, what if you're running and you make a catch on the sideline, and you touch your feet and then you hit the ground, the ball comes out, it's incomplete. If you catch it on the sideline and then you survive the ground but out of bounds then are you out of bounds you complete the catch out of bounds and it's incomplete so if you're catching the ball on the sideline and you get your toes in and you catch it 
you're quote unquote down. And yeah. then you're saying you you survived the ground. The ball's not out of bounds. It's where you caught it. Yeah, yeah. But you, that's actually a good point. But also my my other biggest point is, were you watching live when this happened? Yes, yeah. When they showed the replay, what was your thought? My thought was he's, so this is what I thought. So I you're thought, watching, you go, you knew what they were going to call. Everybody yes. knew before they came out. They said, he was short. Oh my God, he's short. So yes. it's not even the bad ruling. If anything, it's like you, but then you're really getting into the semantics of a catch. But if everybody watching at home sees one replay and everyone's like, oh my God, this is coming back. Is it really that controversial of a call? So my thing with this whole catch, no catch, and it's to say, and one thing that has been pissing me off lately and it affected the Jets on Monday. So it's why it's top of mind for me. And it's affected one of my bets recently is <laughs> this whole catch, non-catch rule, right? There's a billion fucking things, but the whole point is, and I, I think for the letter of the law, the Eagles call was correct. And you're right. I can see why people would argue. I bet on the Cowboys and I had three. So uh, Dak Prescott fucked yeah, me more really than that screwed, did. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. You know, you win some, you lose some. That was the right call by the letter of the law. Thing that's been pissing me off is this whole fumbling the ball, recovering a fumble inbounds. We saw it in the 49ers Cowboys game. Like this happened. We saw it last night in the Jets game. We've seen it in some college games, which again, the rules are a little different, but I think recovering a fumble inbounds should mean the same thing as a catch. You should have to have full control over the ball with your body, two feet and the ball inbounds for you to recover. Derwin James. And again, last night, whatever, you know, the jets were heading into their territory. They're down seven, nothing could have the game been different. Probably not. The offense sucks. I get it. But Derwin James rips the ball out of, or someone rips the ball out of Garrett Wilson's hands. Derwin James recovers it. Someone knocks the ball out of Derwin James's hands when he's out of bounds because he never had full control over it. So for the all intents and purposes, he did not quote unquote survive the ground. He picked it up, but by the time he controlled it, his body was out of bounds. They rule he had it because there's not a rule in place like the catch, no catch where it's like, Oh, he needs to be fully controlled. The ball can't be moving any of that. I think to recover a fumble, you should have to recover the fumble. Like I've seen it a few times now where it's like that ball's moving, but it doesn't yeah, matter that, that because that's, sense. I agree with that. that yeah. Should be the so I, think I don't the, know if that would have impacted the game necessarily. But, no, it wouldn't yeah. have. Cause the jets were going to, they were not going to score a touchdown when CJ Uzama dropped that last one. It was so clear that they, they, they suck. They fucking suck. But anyways, I think the biggest, the biggest problem right now with the NFL roughing the passer Pass interference and holding. Catch, no catch. None of the rules that make any fucking sense. Roughing the passer seems so arbitrary. Like there was exactly Hurts got hit low one time, which people who are watching thought it should have been roughing the passer. And I didn't see they showed the replay. It's like, well, he lets go of the ball and then the guy goes into his knee. So it's like, I don't even know what the letter of the law is. Like, like getting hit in the head. Like, oh, do you throw a guy? Did you put your weight on him? Like, they should just it's, make it so that, like, if it's a late hit or if it's a dirt, like, it's it's the age-old question. If a dude in a sports bar who's had yeah. three beers can tell you what it is, that's the call. Like, if I'm sitting down at a sports bar and I see a guy throw the ball, a guy takes two steps and hits him, it's roughing the passer. If I see a guy knock a dude in the helmet when he's not trying to tackle him, it's roughing the passer. If I see a dude try to Bernard Pollard a dude's leg, 
It's roughing the passer. If a guy is just trying to get the guy down, when you're letting quarterbacks escape the grasp nowadays, and they're athletes, these aren't like, you know, dudes back there who stand and hold the ball like this. Like these are athletic guys. You have to get them on the ground. You can't protect everyone holding. If you're, if it's constant hand fighting and you're trying to let the guy go so you don't get a penalty, it can't be a hold. PI, if both guys are going for the ball, like this kind of stuff, yeah. catch, no catch. Like, yeah, like, if it's, if a bar thinks it's one thing, it's probably the right thing. Yeah, like last year, the Eagles lost to the Commanders and the last play, Heineke's scrambling, 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 and Eagles don't have any timeouts, and it's like third down. Yeah, and he slid. So he, so he, he goes down, him. he goes down, gets hit, and if the second he gets hit, the guy jumps up and is doing this, gets the call, and then runs and does the first down, it's like, yeah, that probably wasn't why the roughing the passer yeah. rule is in place. It's to protect it's like, the quarterback. The, yeah. It's not to – like, there are some ridiculous calls. Um, Intentional yeah, grounding that, on Sunday night. The guy runs the wrong route. Josh Allen's not in danger of being sacked. They throw a flag. It's like, dude, that, yeah. that took some out of field goal range. Obviously, again, a game that probably wouldn't have mattered in. But it's like, dude, like, you do you have, an, do you have eyes? Josh Allen is not just chucking the ball out of nowhere. Like that's a either it's like a read where it's, you know, like a slant and go or something, or he's either going straight or he's stopping for a back shoulder. He misread the coverage. It happens. It's so annoying. Yeah. Um, old other big storyline from the NFL, CJ Stroud. See, I I don't want to overreact because the, he did lose to the Panthers last week. He is probably going to win Offensive Rookie of the Year, and I did not like them picking, uh, like trading up and giving him first round picks. It looks like it's going to work out. I didn't think they were going to be good, but I mean, you're looking, you're basically saying they traded the 15th pick for Will Anderson, and that's going to be great, great value if they finish anywhere near 500. You seem like you got the guy at quarterback, you got the anchor on defense, you have wide receivers who are who are playmakers um you, and then you look to build in the trenches and maybe on the outside defensively a little bit and you got the coach so if you're a fan of that of, of the texans you have to be feeling great because they they seem to be rebuilding awfully quickly yeah and i think a lot of what people said about cj myself included was all right, look at all the talent that was around him at Ohio State. He's not like a dynamic playmaker in the way that he's running, passing, make offing platform flows. And I I included thought he could be like a better Jared Goff. The thing is, like, a better Jared Goff is such an arbitrary term. Like, he looked like Joe fucking Burrow. Like, a guy who's able to, like, navigate the pocket and make his receivers better and you know, his offensive line's good, but it's not fantastic. Like he just made everyone around him better. And he, that's the type of guy who can like cultivate a fan base. Like, I think we're all going to look back and people are going to realize they didn't appreciate what they had at Ohio state with him. And they're not going to realize what they had was a draft prospect with him. Um, I think he's going to be awesome. I think he could turn that team into something long-term. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Bryce Young has not impressed me really at all. Although he doesn't, he's throwing to like a 99, a 95 year old Adam Thielen um, and making it work there. But who, who like CJ Stroud looks like the pick of the draft so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, um, he's that guy. 
Um, yeah, but talking about maybe Ohio State fans not appreciating him, never beat Michigan, who now Michigan, amidst everything, is going to come into Happy Valley this weekend. I thought I was giving Penn State my confidence. I've done a full 180. I I had no confidence really after that Ohio State game, but Ohio State really is one of the better teams in the country. They went into the shoe mm-hmm. and they kept it close. And if it if if there's a holding that doesn't get called, that game changes. Maybe they still don't win, but it's it's a different game. It's closer. Uh, and the main reason I feel good is Vegas knows, and this is a tight spread, four and a half, a tight spread, and it's probably only going to go. Like people, it's probably going to get bet, get bet down even lower. Um, I feel very confident. I'm like all the way. I think they're going to win. It'd be like, I think they're at the point because they lost to Ohio State. The train wheels are going to be off. It's going to be like a. This has a chance to be like a defining moment in the in the James Franklin career because a loss is like another top five loss. Another year losing. It'd be three in a row to Michigan and losing nine out of 10 to uh, Ohio state. But if you win, you're they're going to be a game away essentially from, from going to Indy December 3rd. Yeah, I think. So what I think's going on here is just based on this line, based on where it's moving. I think Ohio state has the best defense in the country. I, I do just like, Looking at all the guys who are going to get drafted, I think they have like JT Tumelo is probably going to be or Jalen Tillumelo is probably going to be a first round pick. Mike Hall and Talik Williams or D tackles will probably go top 100, 120, top four rounds. Jack Sawyer, if he comes back, could probably be a first rounder. Maybe if he leaves this year, top three rounds. Denzel Burke at corners going first round. He didn't even play against Penn State. Their freshman corner did, who will probably be a first rounder in a couple of years. He looks like a beast. Jordan Hancock's going to get drafted. Sonny Styles will probably eventually be a first rounder. He's 19 years old and he's starting. Um, Big Benosa, there's other corner. He He's only a sophomore. We'll see what happens with him. But um, Lathan Ransom's probably going to get drafted. Like Legitimately, I think 10 of their 11 starters, plus some of their backups who play, will all get drafted. On offense, Marvin Harrison is the best receiver prospect since Calvin Johnson. And they didn't have Travion for that game, but like Marvin Harrison was their whole offense that game. I think people are since Ohio state hasn't like blown anybody out really and scored like 50 points. Everyone assumes they're kind of like mediocre. And I think because of that, people are assuming Penn state's bad because they couldn't beat Ohio state and they couldn't score. I think Penn state and Michigan are like super similar. And I think if drew Aller can outplay JJ McCarthy, they win the game. So are you root who as an Ohio state fan, you're probably rooting for Michigan now. So this is a win-win because if Penn state wins, it's LOL. Fuck you, Michigan. Like if they go into against Penn state, I guess Ohio state, you guys are in a spot where if you win, you're, you're, you're going to, to the big, you, you control. Your exactly. Yeah. They, if Ohio state wins, they win. Like they just have to beat Michigan. If Ohio state, um, if if Michigan wins, that sets up probably the biggest Ohio State Michigan game in the history with all what's going on, and Ohio State coming off two losses, spot in the Big Ten championship. 
Maybe if it's Ohio State, probably the one seed in the playoff. Maybe it's the two if Georgia wins out. It doesn't really matter. But like a spot in the playoff and a spot in the Big Ten championship, the last ever Big Ten championship without the new teams, the cheating scandal, everything like the game of the century if Michigan wins. So that could be a de facto cool. playoff game, depending on what else is happening too around yep. with uh Washington, Georgia, whoever. Exactly. But if Penn State wins, Michigan loses. I'll never I'll never say no to Michigan losing. Yeah, I don't know why I thought because I know if Michigan if Penn State wins and then Michigan beats Penn State, Penn State's got a pretty good chance to go to the Big Ten championship. But Penn State would win. That's the assuming Ohio tie. State. That's assuming Penn State loses. So it's not like yeah, Ohio, Ohio, State, Ohio to, State loses. Yeah, Ohio State has to win their lot. Has to beat Michigan to go either way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, some of those other teams I think are going to have a chance. Washington, big win uh, against USC. Michael Penix looking like a potential Heisman Trophy winner, and. I placed a future bet on the Alabama Crimson Tide, fifteen to one, to win the national championship. They look fucking good. Already down to, after they, be, I knew, I knew they were going to beat LSU. Um, uh, I did okay in college betting this week, but that was one of my bigger plays. It's just you're not going to lose twice at home. They lost to a good Texas team at home, and you get them at fifteen to one to win the national championship, which is really they're going to get to uh, Atlanta. They're going to be dogs against Georgia, but not by a ton. And then if they win that game, I think that's like a six point line right now. Yeah. So I, I, I like it. I think that they're kind of, kind of getting rolling at the right time. Uh, their defense is great. Like the offense is like, they did everything on the ground yesterday, but I mean, Nick Saban will, will find ways to win. Um, but I think, I think there's like a limited, we talked about NFL teams that win the Super Bowl, college teams that I think legitimately could win the college football playoff are probably Alabama, Georgia, Ohio state, Michigan. Um, I think it's just Ohio. I think it's Ohio state, Alabama, Georgia. That's it. Cause I don't think, I don't think Michigan has proven they could beat a Georgia level team. I think Oregon could win, could win a championship. Okay. Too. Yeah. I, I could see Oregon before I could see Michigan. I think uh, Michigan I, can beat Ohio state. I don't think Michigan has the high level athletes on the outside to beat a Georgia level team. Yeah, I think if things break right, maybe the matchup wise, it, it it could like last year with, like if they lined up against uh like a Florida State and that, if the seeding works out, I think it could work out for Michigan. I don't see it working out even if the seeding's perfect for a Washington or a Florida State necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, Penn State is is guilty until proven innocent. Uh, like. I don't even know who else is really in that. Like Texas, I don't really. Texas is interesting because they obviously went to Tuscaloosa and beat Alabama. They're another team where it's like you kind of have to see it to believe it. And I know Oregon, people could make that argument. You haven't seen it from Oregon. But I just like I, I'm i more confident in Oregon than I am with Penn State, Texas, Washington. Yeah, they just have more talent. on the. They have more talented playmakers. Yeah. Do you have a score prediction for Saturday? It's going to be. So we got the 12 o'clock kickoff, which James Franklin all time spins out. He said he likes it. He said he thinks sometimes the crowd, they're a little sleepy from tailgating all day at the night game. So they're going to be fired up from their morning cup of coffee, which is a, a funny spin zone for a 12 o'clock game. No, the place is going to be rocking. It's talking to a friend of the program, Aaron Christ. This is a potential. This is a field storming potential game, a win. 
It'd be the the first field story. Is he going? Uh, I don't think he's going. But this would be the first potential field story since uh, since Ohio State in 2016. And I think if they win, it would be worthy. I'm not going to be a guy that yells at field stories, but I think there is something cool when a team, it's like, oh, they've done it. But it's a true upset, yeah. Twice in the last 20 years. Sure, it's a four-and-a-half-point favorite, but, like, the magnitude of the victory and what it could mean for uh, potentially getting to a playoff if if Michigan can win at home as seven-point favorites uh, is huge. So, very interesting. I'm going to say, I'll say Penn State wins 23-21. A late field goal with with uh, the most pre- the most pressure we've ever seen on and a long field goal to win it at the end twenty three twenty one and a field storm and a true field story on a walk walk off field goal and a true a true worthy storming of the field. Yeah, I was gonna say twenty four twenty Penn State. It just feels like they're gonna win everything. I don't know what it is. It just feels like they're gonna win. Which I love to hear from somebody outside the outside of Penn State because a lot of Penn State people are more like obviously more uh like cautious and, and pessimistic. But one thing which I think is really interesting is the narrative that like Penn State definitely has struggled with Ohio State. One and nine in their last ten. Nobody's denying that. The game they won was a huge upset, blocked kick, whatever. There's like this narrative also because of what's happened since COVID. Uh, and because of the Ohio State struggles, it's like Penn State, you see people talk about Franklin. Penn State can't beat Ohio State or Michigan. They've they they've lost. You've beaten Michigan three. like three times. They beat Michigan two out of the last four, three out of the last six, like four out of the last eight, and like eight out of the last 14. They typically win their games at home. They just happen to lose, have lost the last two when Michigan is a top three team. In and the they're cheating. And cheating every which way, cutting corners. So I don't like that narrative when people say that, which is, I think sometimes a big, big argument against James Franklin is they can't win the big game, but they've, they've handled Michigan when they've had to. So I think they do it again at home, tough place to play. Michigan hasn't played anybody. Penn State's going to have to get out to a lead early. They're going to have to get after uh, the quarterback early. And I don't think Michigan has like really even given up or like had to face a gold ghost scenario all year. So it's like, Mm -hmm. they're going to be uncomfortable in this game just from the standpoint of not having played anybody all year. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good one. Uh, There's some other interesting matches in college football, but as I was saying to you off air, I don't think any of them are really like intriguing. Like Utah, Washington, like all of them scream like maybe a cover, but not a win. Kind of like the similar stuff we've been getting, like Missouri, Georgia, cover, not a win. Kansas State, Texas, a real chance at a win, cover, not a win. Like that kind of stuff is like, it's fun when you're gambling. It's fun when you like to take the underdogs. It's fun when you like watching close college football. But for the pure sake of chaos, I don't think anything is going to happen on Saturday besides maybe Penn State winning that will throw anything else off. Yeah. Um, the only other note that I had is is Oklahoma beating Texas might have been a little bit of a overreaction having them ranked like, like six or whatever yeah. they were. They've dropped two in a row uh, to Kansas and Oklahoma State, who Oklahoma State don't look now is probably going to be playing for the Big 12 championship because their last three games are three newcomers in UCF, Houston, and Oklahoma. going to be pretty uh, shocking if they don't um, finish the year in the Big 12 championship game. Probably Oklahoma State, Texas 
there as those two teams both only have one loss. Um, but that that those are like the big the big high high level notes. Keep it at high level for for college football this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as a reminder, we talked to Mike Mastriani before this. Um, we're gonna run this on Wednesday and Saturday. Not only. Are you can you watch this Michigan Penn State game in the morning? But St. Louis against Illinois State in the Arch City at seven o'clock Central Time, eight o'clock Eastern on ESPN Plus. If you want to give the Redbirds some support, Dom, anything else? Uh, yeah. First reported by Cooler Talk Sports. There's a signing Redbird signing today. Um, so go check it out on their Twitter. First reported by us. Two signings. First, re- first reported by us that there will be a signing tomorrow on the crystal ball. Um, but yeah, want to thank Mike again. I know uh, he loves talking about college hoops, and I love learning more about it because he's got such an interesting perspective. And as someone who who gro- growing up, that's like one of my favorite sports to watch. Still is, um, and hearing about that is, is really really incredible. So appreciate him and. Uh, it's going to be a measuring stick game against the Billikens. We're going to see what they're made of. So uh, excited, excited for that at Illinois state, but that's all, that's all I got. All right. And for, uh, for Mike and Dom and me, uh, we'll catch you guys in the next water break.